Welcome back to the CIO Show. I'm David Binning, Associate Editor of CIO. Now, it's a technology that has received much hype over the years, largely due to its relationship with digital currencies like Bitcoin. But blockchain is much more than that, of course. Based on a peer-to-peer topology, blockchain is a distributed ledger system that allows data to be stored globally on thousands of servers, effectively recording the provenance of a digital asset potential to totally transform processes from financial transactions to supply chain logistics and medical research even is now undeniable. Now first guest is Luzlo Peter who is head of blockchain services KPMG Asia Pacific. Luzlo welcome to the CIO show. Thanks for having me it's a pleasure. Now as the Australian government gears up to manage distribution of the COVID-19 vaccine there are going to be some significant and unique challenges which will require different thinking and processes that blockchain may be, may be able to lend itself to, right? That's right. And there are a couple of interesting uh, observations I would make in, in this space, which is stemming from the fact that you will have multi-party collaboration that we have to gel together from the manufacturers to logistics companies to warehouses to distribution and administration centers. Yeah. And each of them are running on their own space, different technology, different standards. And in order to get something as specific as a, as a vaccine that travels under minus something temperature, like minus 30, yeah. and can only be on room temperature for, I don't know, for 24 hours, it creates a whole new level of complexity around standardization of data exchange, yeah, yeah. being able to communicate with one party to another, yeah. and being able to trade not just the assets, or yeah. in this case the vaccines coming from one place to another, yeah but also to be able to see where that particular delivery went well, where it failed, if there's any um, uh, recall event, yeah, yeah. or redistribution, or realignment of the distribution, will require this type of new type of, as we call it, a distributed platform that doesn't rely on, on a centralized part, everything has to go one place and then reconcile it, but real-time distributed and communicated in such a way that this runs in the most efficient, mm. more predictable, but yeah. also monitorable fashion. Yeah. So when someone needs to know where do I have all the assets, where the shortage, or we have to send more, mm-hmm. they have it at their fingerprints with a simple dashboard. And when, you, and when you're talking about, you know, the importance of immutable fact and trust, it's hard to sort of think of an example where that's more critical than in this example of the pandemic, right? That's right. And that's where... A distributed technology, and you mentioned blockchain earlier, comes in play uh, that creates this type of registry that is sort of, <laughs> for intensive purposes, centralized, but is also distributed to every party. So they know at any point in time that a party uh, took custody of an asset or is in the, in currently in the logistic uh, leg and is being transported. And by the way, it's being transported is running at uh, minus 30, therefore it's a, a liquid nitrogen cryo logistics mm. and it's all in the, within the parameters of, um, of, the, of the manufacturer. But those elements that everybody can see at any point in time what's happening, it's, it's gold. And that's the next generation of these new distributed systems where multiple parties can collaborate around a common goal, in this yeah. case of vaccine distribution or a vaccine as an asset, mm-hmm. without having to centralize or create a new entity that is sort of trusted, centralized, and then if that fails, creates a whole other problem. And you're also seeing um, increased application of blockchain-type 
technologies, processes and thinking in the cancer slash oncology treatment space, aren't you? That's right. So, um, an interesting use case that uh, several organizations like uh, the J&Js of this world will be um, um, putting a lot of effort in is where traditionally you had a generic treatment like um, chemotherapy and other ones into moving into specific treatments like uh, CAR T cells uh, created especially from uh, blood samples from a patient uh, transferred into uh, blood mononuclear cells and then, then manufactured into a CAR T treatment yeah. that is applica- that applied to a person. Yeah. But the benefits are that suddenly a generic treatment that gives you a 40-50% chance moves into a personalized treatment that is created into a 80-90% chance to survive cancer, which obviously are a major change in the equation, yeah. but also requires significant and very precise traceability. So from the moment that your blood vials have been collected at the point and then been transformed into treatment and been administered to you in the hospital, that traceability by multiple parties will require a very, very high degree of precision. Because if you're getting somebody else's blood, probably not that great. No, no, imagine <laughs> not. <laughs> um, so these are, again, another example where multiple parties using multiple systems of their own they're investing over the years would have to start looking at how do they communicate this type of standardized and new taxonomy-driven messages between these parties to be able to reassemble and recombine uh, at any point in time um, and with high degree of trust that those assets are correctly linked in the right level of custody, in the right conditions, mm. at the right spot, and administered to the right patient. Yeah, right. So tell me about KPMG Origins. It's uh, one of our products. So we started investing um, in this type of uh, emerging technology, not as, a, as an advisory firm, which we are actually well known for, yeah. but uh, creating uh, new type of ventures. And um, that is a very... A recent, I mean, I've been working for the firm for three years to move our expertise in some of these domains into technology solutions yep. that we not just can talk about them, but actually demonstrate how will this work. And especially in these environments where are very complex and highly distributed and requires multiple parties to collaborate, mm. having someone who can orchestrate with an independent party in all of these conversations, because we are not a supply chain expert or so supply chain participant or a medical or life science participant, we can just provide um, the trusted technology that can solve some of these problems. Yeah. Um, and the way we think about this type of distributed environment with um, a registry system that each of the participants can see at any point in time, real time yeah. and uh, immutably, yeah. that creates an opportunity for organizations who are well known for our independence, well known for our uh, domain expertise, to actually provide value as services back to certain industries that we specialize in. Mm-hmm. And that ranges from life sciences to agriculture to uh, banking to construction and a few of those use cases where mining, if you like, where these type of new solutions, we call them the distributed enterprises, enterprise solutions, uh, will make a big difference in the, in, in the, in the near future. Something that we spoke about recently I thought was very interesting and very, very important and something that's, that, that kind of um, speaks to this growing importance of um, corporate reputation is this application of blockchain in addressing um, child labour. That actually brings together 
um, a very complex elements around uh, incentive systems yeah. um, where um, you're consuming or an organization is uh, consuming raw materials from one, especially foreign jurisdictions, uh, creating uh, combined assets out of it and then transporting it into another location. And it can be anything from child labor or illegal labor, if you like, to on-farm or on-production on practices. Yeah. It can be anything from animal welfare, in terms of how those animals are treated yeah, on-farm um, um, on and mm. so on. And being able to combine those on-farm certificates, not purely on on the traditional methods where someone drives out in a white car and visits the farm or so on and finds that everything is just awesome, but um, having a, having the right incentive structure in place that these locations are kitted out with new type of sensors and data yeah. uh, capture devices that immediately can capture some of these aspects, yep. but not just by capturing them, but also providing the right level of trust and incentive for those organizations to share this data. Yep. Think about a manufacturing plant or a farm and so on, in such a way that in exchange for these data points, they can receive um, I don't know, a better, more preferential financing or more preferential insurance. So be, being able to piece together the data to support those claims, both in certifications or audits, um, and creating a platform that can transport and distribute these findings in immutable formats with the right degrees of liability is part of most of the organization's digital strategy of the future. Yeah, right. Most organizations invested in this stuff already mm-hmm. and we call them the powered enterprise and they all have crm systems or uh, saps and whatnot of this world um, they all have connections to all over the world so they are so powered and connected but the next generation will be the distributed enterprise yeah. and this is where i think uh, these type of systems like what we're investing in or we see others are investing in um, will become quite uh, quite paramount Indeed. And you mentioned agriculture earlier. I mean, obviously, you know, huge industry for Australia. What, 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 are, you, what are you seeing in terms of potential applications for the agricultural industry in Australia? I think that's one of the most relevant use cases for this type of uh, distributed system, yeah. given that most of our agricultural produce are heading overseas. And um, us being able to digitize uh, our trade corridors, making them agile, and uh, resilient towards uh, shocks. We see about trade wars, we see about bans yep. from certain countries. Yep. Uh, and for, for our agricultural <laughs> certain, players, com- certain countries that shall remain nameless. <laughs> um, I'll leave it to you that one. Suddenly, <laughs> um, you see that uh, agricultural participants uh, would have to have, um, especially the ones who are investing in these type of technologies, to have the fit the flexibility, agility, and the capability to shift to other markets yeah. quickly, right. um, being able to justify compliance with another market. And we are exploring with these technologies, uh, building digital trade corridors yeah. um, between one between Australia and other countries where not just the assets and the data definitions are on the assets, but everything throughout the value chain, such as uh, customs clearance or compliance with a new jurisdiction and the data required to access that. So for example, if you're exporting red meat to, say, let's say, Taiwan, you would have to prove that um, based on the Australian regulation, it's uh, rightly been uh, 
treated the animal has no hormones or other is grass fed etc etc but when you get to the distribution point in the foreign jurisdictions they might require halal certificates or they might require that uh, the data points following the asset will verify that they've been slaughtered in most humane conditions and the 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 abattoirs were all certified etc etc yeah and take one step further and you'll find that the carbon neutrality is just in CN20, CN30 is just um, yeah, around the corner. Yeah. So you see the ramifications of that. Well, indeed. I mean, and, and presumably, you know, furthering this agriculture example, um, it would be uh, potentially in the future di- more difficult for a country to claim some sort of breach of compliance with regard to agricultural products, um, you know, if there was an immutable record of it. Precisely. And I think that's one of the, the main benefits that if you can immutably and by independent parties verify that an asset went through um, a certain processing and is monitored throughout the journey. And we're looking at, we're integrating with third-party IoT providers who can even say that uh, they measure life. Yeah. They have licenses uh, attached to the, to the asset, to the physical asset, to say, has the container or the box been opened? Right, um, right. So they know they they know that temperature, location, and so on are becoming mainstream. But being able to use these technologies to collect data real time. I mean, we're getting readings every eighteen minutes uh, in our platform from IoT providers. Yeah, uh, that that creates a brand new level of um, certainty. That um, at least you can justify that an asset reaches a distribution center either in Australia, let's say you're transporting vegetables from one place to I don't know, Coles and Woolwich or landing in, in Taipei and in the port, you know what happened with that asset. So there's a traceability element. Now, obviously, if you take a try the politics of this, if you have genuine supply chains that are reliant on data and immutable data that you can trust, yeah. that becomes a very valuable asset for an Australian agricultural exporter. Yeah, well, I mean, look, given given the, you know, the theme of this conversation is certainly moving in the direction of blockchain being more uh, a, a system, you know, a way of thinking about data um, storage and immutability um, to connect entire industries and sectors rather than something that, for instance, CIOs should be thinking, would need to think all that much about in terms of investing or deploying within their own organisations. Who's going to be paying for these blockchain systems is this is this more like a government responsibility that's developing or even a sort of high level like into a level of international government potentially that, that is going to be you know um investing in these blockchain systems that as as you as you point out are going to be so critical for so many industries not at all i don't think this is um should be done by government and actually we we have relationship with uh, and discussions with government both state and federal level um, these are systems that will be uh, potentially funded by government to yeah. be established, but operated by independent parties. Yeah. Um, I, I think that the, the benefit of having organizations who can see benefit in creating standardized and independent platforms like ourselves opens up the opportunity for scale. Mm. Um, because if, if one state or federal government, let's say one government, owns this system, maybe some other states might not be that inclined to, to adopt it. Yeah. But if it's independently operated and maintained, um, suddenly you open up the opportunity to scale it. And that also goes back to your first questions around uh, the CIOs. If you're thinking, if you're a CIO for a large organization thinking, do I invest in this myself? Mm. 
well, there you're probably missing the point around the, the level of what I said earlier, the distributed environment, because the future will be not to own everything, but to be able to standardize and connect to something that can mutualize your cost and transform your CapEx or capital expenditure or your project expenditure into OPEX. Mm. Because that's something that you can measure quite easily. It's much, much smaller. Mm. And you just buy in or potentially you only pay for what you consume. Yeah. And this opens up the conversations around, uh-huh, if I'm a bank, for example, and I need to access some data to to get my credit risk or counterparty risk much, much better, I just need to tap into a, a, a platform that can give me that data. Because most of the organizations already would have internal credit and counterparty and all kind of risk modeling in place. Yeah. They just need top quality and validated data points so they can trust that what they are baking into their model is good. Uh, but they don't need to own the system to get the data. Yeah. They just have to pay for the data. But it opens up the commercial opportunity for people creating assets, data assets in particular, to create top quality data assets because that can be sold. Yeah. If it's just right. a random data point and it's because it's a compliant data point, yeah. it's probably not as, <laughs> not, as, not as valuable than if a commercially tradable data point. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it sounds as though almost, you know, blockchain in the future maybe comes to be viewed as something more akin to like a, a utility for, you know, verification of, of data and you know, creating trusted networks between organizations and across, across industries. Laszlo, thanks so much for, for sharing those insights with us. Thank you, David, and thanks for having me. Thank, Thank you. We enable any organization to use any technology. We help all companies become technology companies, protecting the identity of both workforces and customers, connecting the right people to the right technology at the right time. Okta, one trusted platform to secure every identity in your organisation. Joining us now is Kaspar Kalip, who is co-founder and chief technology officer with WePower. It's a company applying blockchain to managing renewable energy resources. And Kasper's also worked on many blockchain projects in Australia and overseas. Kasper, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Mate, so look, it seems as though with blockchain, we've moved from sort of peak hype of around 2017 into what some might consider having been a rather deep trough of disillusionment from which blockchain is now probably starting to crawl out from, yeah? That's my feeling feeling as well, you know, uh, and I guess I have a bit of a sort of unique perspective where I served as the the, the CTO of a large power company overseas uh, back in 2017 when, when really the hype was just beginning. Yeah. And so I was getting lots of these different crazy ideas on how we should do asset management and blockchain and how we should now do all of our billing systems, which were, you know, quite crazy and still are. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and then... And then uh, I had uh, this opportunity to, to sort of actually spend three years working on the problem of applying blockchain in a useful sense to commodity trading uh, cases. Yep. Uh, and, and so, you know, three years after, it's exactly as you said, right? You know, I think it's now well obvious to everybody that probably about 95% of proposed cases uh, three years ago, are are not do not outperform their you know centralized or tradi- traditional uh, analogs, 
especially in enterprise settings. 95%. Uh, 95%, maybe more. Wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So maybe that's, more. That's somewhat, but, that's somewhat sobering. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, this is and it, this is this is important, but but I think also uh, it's very important not to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Yeah, you know, and and sort of you know, people if, if we compare this with with you know booms of of tulips and you know totally being nothing, then I think we're also you know missing the point that it is a very uh, specialized set of of ways and how to store data securely for a very long time. Right. And uh, it has, it's, uh, you know, it should, I think, you know, we, we got into this, you know, type of pitching of what it could do, but, but it's hard in pitches to do this type of, you know, analysis that we do in enterprises, which is where we need to compare mm. any new solution in, in cost and time to what we already have. Yeah. So like, I mean, as a, as a really broad diagnosis for, for me today, it is that most things inside a single enterprise can and should be done traditionally. Yep. The primary value of blockchain, which is you know touted about decentralization and trust. Mm -hmm. So if you're in a trusted environment, you know which you've constructed as a CIO or or anybody who's managing an enterprise network, mm -hmm. if you're in a trusted environment, it has very little value for you. Yeah, right. It really the the value comes from if you're in a position where you need to establish trust with a lot of uh, parties outside of your own boundaries. Right. And so when we're talking about you know there's a there's a great uh, company today uh, who's utilizing blockchain to do uh, uh, oil tanker manifest between large global uh, oil trading companies. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that's. So that's a great example of a and way how where that, how does it work? Yeah, it simply works that they they needed to sync that manifest information, and instead of opting to to integrate in the traditional sense, they ran the analysis and said that it's cheaper for them to set up a centralized uh, blockchain where they simply all write under the same rules, and it reduces the friction and the cost. Right. So that means that you know if two enterprises need to um, both, you know, operate and trust the same data, it might actually, instead of, you know, one party acting as sort of this trusted intermediary, you now have this option of, you know, we could use a blockchain for it yeah. because it is a form of trusted intermediary and this has specific, you know, it has a cost performance to it. Right. And, you know, for, for our case, we, we've deployed a commercial 10-year power purchase agreement. It's a renewable energy contract on, on the Ethereum blockchain, for example. Uh-huh. And this, that means this we what, have. This is what you're doing with WePower. Yeah, this yeah. is this is something which on, on how we use it with 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 WePower, especially yeah. it's really to track uh, long term sales allocations of renewable projects over long term because you know these projects have lifetimes of 10, 20 years. Yeah, right. right, right. You know, m most of uh, if if I wanted to have a you know a guaranteed secure data storage system for 10 years, you know, it's, it's not a trivial undertaking. It is not a trivial uh, undertaking, no. No. It's, no. And super it's, important, it's given, given what, you know, given what everybody knows yeah. and, and feels about renewable energy as well. Exactly. And this is energy we're talking about. So it yeah. is important, right? I mean, yeah. and, you know, every, everybody's making claims we're going to be renewable by 2025 and 2030, et cetera. These are long time horizons to, yeah. to track our commitments on. And, um, you know, utilizing blockchain, you know, we only pay for the right operation. 
We don't pay for the ongoing security. That's done by the decentralized network. Right. And, uh, and we don't pay for the ongoing storage. Once we have written it, it's there. It's mm-hmm. accessible for 10 years. Mm-hmm. So that means, you know, for 10 bucks, I can get 10 years worth of data storage. The trick, of course, is, is how to get it down to 10 bucks. Well, you can't write stuff on it like you would normally. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of cryptographics and, you know, you basically just have to do a lot of hashing to make sure that it, it, it acts as a sort of a restore point, not as a, you know, human legible database. Right. Uh, it's not built for that. It never was. Uh, even the, the very early sort of success stories on Ethereum, uh, there was a funny app called Crypto Kitties, which was very popular in 2017. Which started, yeah, you know, this- no, Crypto Kitties. Tell me about that. What's with that? <laughs> Yeah, that was that was interesting. It was like you know the, during the boom times, they said that 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 was responsible for a spike in the usage of Ethereum back then. Yeah, and uh, but you know they sold these unique cat cats, yeah. and there was even like a, like you know, avata- it was, it was a, avatars. Yeah, they, they sold these, you know, they said blockchain art, right? It's like you right. know, unique digital art type thing. Yeah. But, you know, if you, look at, if you look at how that was actually implemented, the pictures of the cats were stored on a normal server. Right. So they were hashed on chain and a link was attached. So, so it's like if, you know, you get this hash and it's, it's unique, you know, it's uniquely tied to that picture. But if the server goes down, you know, you can't see it anymore. Yeah. So that's, that's an example of actually, I think, People, you know, don't like to talk about it, but most useful blockchain applications are hybrid. Yeah, sure. You know, they 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 utilize a, a combination of both. So you really just want to, you know, transfer that 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 long term secure data storage to it, and and it adds, you know, if you if you utilize that as 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 a possible integration layer, uh, you know, either on inter enterprise level or uh, inside large groups, you know. And, you know, work, work, having worked inside a large energy company, you know, having this issue that each of the daughter companies, you know, kind of wants their own, you know, some freedom in their IT decisions. And, and then we have the centralized core who wants a lot of control. So, so having an ability for, you know, different uh, parts of applications to, you know, talk to each other with, with removing a bit of the human interaction element from it can actually speed things up quite a lot. It's really... Um, you know, when we're talking about security, trust, and, and long-term data storage, and we're talking about uh, a possible way of solving, not the optimal, but in some cases, it, it, it's very good yeah. in, in solving inter-system um, data transfer issues. Mm. So, you know, that's, I think that's, a, you know, coming back to what you said about coming out of this, you know, I think these are productive ways in how to think about blockchain, but they're also, you know, compared to 2017, super boring. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and and ultimately, as 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 you've noted, this blockchain is not necessarily um, a technology that CIOs should be, um, you know, or need to think too much about in terms of their own enterprise operations. This is something, well, certainly, as we come out of this trough of disillusionment, that it, it, it would appear that the sensible conversations about blockchain are, as you've referred to. Um, being, you know, systems technologies for uh, connecting enterprises and, and and perhaps greasing greasing the wheels in you know throughout entire industry sectors where there's, you know, the, the, there is the need for you know trusted trusted networks and and immutable immutable data and facts. 
Absolutely. And, and, you know, one of the things which is in our company, actually, uh, blockchain sits together with the chief information security officer. Yeah. So that's another thing. It's, it's ultimately about establishing trust. That's interesting. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it needs to sit together with your other methods of establishing trust. Yeah, yeah. So, again, you, you, I think that's, that's very correct. Like when we're, you know, today the demands of business are really asking us to trust more external parties all the time. It's yeah. really, you know, we're, we're asked to do this. And this is, we need to study and understand blockchain from that perspective. Yeah. as a possible solution. And another thing to, we need to understand is that, you know, if your main benefit of the technology is the speed of establishing trust, then the value of that technology is difficult to understand without properly understanding the business process behind it. Right. Because, you know, trust is a very, the value of it, or, you know, is it worth our time using it or, or, or you know, what's the, the best solution for it? Yeah. You know, Trust is something that depends on the on, on the business, you know. On, on some contracts, you need more of it. On some, you need less of it. What you know? What does trust mean for that particular use case? Important to qualify. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Well, Casper, thanks so much for for your time, mate, and um, all the best with it. Like a, a very an admirable admirable um, endeavor, um, aligning blockchain with with you know more intelligent management distribution of renewable energy resources all the best with it thanks for joining us and we look forward to having you back on the show soon thanks david glad to be here cheers okay, thank you our final guest is jonathan kempe who's founder and ceo of supply chain security startup verify jonathan welcome to the cio show thank you so much for having me david it's a pleasure to be on your show thanks for the invitation oh well, thank you for that warm warm appreciation so look you have some pretty serious reservations about blockchain i understand yeah, I, I think the reservation's been born out of a, a, a pretty long history of looking at uh, what blockchains have proposed to be, and uh, looking at some of the information that's flown from, flown out of the uh, or grown out of the uh, various aspects of, of blockchain implementations as they were originally proposed, and then the, what they've come to come to represent and how they've been uh, implemented. Right. And uh, secondly, from a, from a quite a long history in systems in integration. So my background is in uh, various technical disciplines. I had the uh, the privilege and pleasure of running a few different companies and working for large and small companies. And one of the things that you see as a systems integrator or systems administrator is the mechanics of how things work at the front and the back, uh, the front end and back end of application software, hardware and software as they interact together. And when you get that perspective, you, you get a, bit of a unique view on how things can work and how proposed things don't work. Yeah. And I think what we're seeing at the moment is that blockchains, as they've been proposed and as they've evolved over time in, in the common narrative and then more technically with certain providers and vendors, uh, what they originally claimed to be and what they've subsequently become uh, has been quite a divergent journey. And what, we're, uh, what we've seen as of late in particular is uh, a number of failures, a lot of uh, inappropriate spending or spending that's been misappropriated and uh, and subsequently the proposed solutions uh, end up in some cases not even having blockchain in them at all. Indeed, right. So um, so what you're saying is that there, there are organisations out there or individuals out there who are selling solutions as blockchain without actually any blockchain. Yeah, and part of that is because there's – there's, this being, there's, there's been an interesting evolution in the, uh, the concept of what a blockchain is, and that, that's a technical 
definition. But then, then in parallel with that, there's this sort of philosophical or metaphorical approach that tries to describe what a blockchain should be. Mm. Um, and it's, it's important to make this distinction between the two because a solution provider or a vendor might come to you and say, well, this is what it's going to do. Yeah. And what they're trying to really say is we can see the processes that you've got. We can see they're inefficient. We'd like to digitally transform those processes. And that means you, you know, moving from a manual process or a paper-driven process into something which is a bit more technically proficient and, and in many cases involves multiple parties that have to share things. Yeah. And then, then what they do through that lens, they overlay blockchain as the, the saviour or the solution that will make those sorts of things happen. Yeah. And the, the problem with that is... Um, well, at first glance, and this is where I sympathise with decision makers when they look at um, proposals from certain vendors, at first glance that sounds like a great idea because people think, oh, I do have this problem. I have a problem where I can't trust the people around me and I can't trust my, the people involved in my supply chain or I can't trust the people I'm interacting with. I'd love a solution that enables trust to be to increase yeah. and for the, the data that gets transferred to have more integrity. Uh, and then the mistake is that the following conclusion, which is that blockchains allow those things to happen mm. as if somehow they um, can ensure your data is trustworthy, firstly, and secondly, that the people involved in the interactions have integrity or are doing things above board. Um, and that actually evolved out of how public blockchains work because public, public blockchains, and you know, most famous on perhaps the Bitcoin blockchain, work on this idea that lots of different parties can trust each other without even knowing each other and they can do that in a distributed fashion. Um, the real problem is, is that when you drag it into an enterprise blockchain environment, the dynamic changes completely. There's actually mechanisms in public blockchains which don't get replicated inside private blockchains. Why is that? And as soon as, uh, yeah, well, it's, a, it's a good question. It sort of goes to the, the core of, of how blockchains have evolved. Mm -hmm. um, so with, with the public blockchain, which is based on the, um, the mysterious Satoshi Nakamoto's paper yes. written in 09 a long time ago. Yeah, no yeah. one's sure who from, he is. From, from, a, from Gordon and the northwest suburbs of Sydney, apparently. <laughs> as the story goes. As the story as goes, the story. Yeah. yeah. could well be. Yeah. Um, and uh, from those humble beginnings, yeah. uh, it was proposed that blockchains were something that could underpin uh, certain types of transactions mm. to make them trustworthy. And really what blockchains did and uh, what they do well as per Satoshi's paper, uh, it's just an eight-page white paper. It's a very uh, informative read. I'd encourage people to read it. Um, it. It solves for a double spending problem. And that, simply put, that's uh, you have $5, you give it to somebody else, you can't re-spend that $5 again. Right. And the way it does that is it, is it has this whole mathematical back end, which means that that's the case, that, that continues to be the case. So the transactions that occur are protected by some pretty amazing mathematics. Yeah. And so the fundamentals of blockchain are actually really good. Um, but when they get translated into other environments, away from that simple use case of transactions between a couple of different parties who might be known or unknown or trusted or untrusted, mm. you start to introduce other other layers uh, yeah. that are needed yeah. to make those transactions work. And as soon as you introduce those other layers, and they might be layers where you have to share information and the information can't stay in a blockchain, yeah. because blockchains aren't all that great at storing huge amounts of data. Uh, you might have a disparate party who has a system that's not compatible with the one that you're running. Uh, there's a few different reasons why you introduce additional layers. As soon as you do that, those layers step away from the cryptographic mathematical protections of that underlying blockchain and you start introducing a whole host of problems. And, and a common thing that I see when I when I talk to people who are considering blockchain solutions or I talk to vendors, yeah. what I query about their implementations is, um, tell me what's happening at those other layers and who's 
um, coding them or building them and protecting them. And you generally come up short uh, when you uh, ask those questions because the the constant refrain is, well, the blockchain takes care of that as if it's some sort of swatch that you'd wind up and yeah. let go and you don't have to do maintenance on. Yeah. And uh, and there's, there's no real system in history that has, has been the case. Um, even the Bitcoin blockchain uh, requires oversight and some of the more uh, extensive hacks that we've seen in history where people have broken into various iterations of blockchains. The Ethereum DAO smart contract one is probably the most famous, which people can look up. Yeah. Um, that, was, that was an instance where many people had access to and could overlook the code that was proposed. And even with all of these smart people, they were unable to secure the underlying um, architecture. And, and so when, when I translate all of those things and the complexities of those things into a corporate environment, mm. and you're, you're looking at a, a decision makers who have a constrained budget, maybe have don't have as much time to make certain detailed technical decisions, and they look around for a solution that solves for that business use case, um, in many instances, they're sold blockchain as the solution to that problem. But the nuance of solving that problem tends to be not blockchain. Uh, at all, and in some instances, and there's, I won't name them, but there's, there's certain very high-profile instances where mm. people have said uh, this is a blockchain-based solution, and what's really happened behind the scenes is they've built something which is blockchain-like, um, right. but doesn't have the core blockchain componentry in it. And the reason for that is because uh, when they've gone to build that uh, supposed blockchain solution. It's very hard. It can be very expensive. It requires a huge auditing trail post-build. And there's a lot of engineering overhead. The complexities of integrating it can be many and varied. Um, there's all these different things you introduce as you introduce a, a relatively complicated cryptographic protection mechanism like many people propose. Mm. And the upshot is that people end up with systems either that don't function in the way that they want them to. Yeah. Well, they, they function in a certain way, but in the upkeep of that system with all of the engineers that are required at a different uh, competency level and, and so on is much greater than they first anticipated. Uh, and so as a general rule of thumb, and I know this might be a controversial statement, but uh, okay. as I was rum yeah. r r ruminating how, you know, if you, if you look historically, socially and, and technically at how blockchains have evolved, I'd probably hazard a guess, and this this is a, on the controversial side, but I'd hazard a guess that in nearly every instance, one for every instance, because there's certain edge cases where it does make some sense, but yeah. in nearly every instance, when a blockchain gets proposed as a solution, there's a readily available alternative that would be cheaper, easier, more functional, faster, and generally over time, uh, a lot easier to administer solution that would exist um, that a, a company could adopt. Mm -hmm. So I just want to I just want to repeat that for, yeah. e for for nearly every for nearly every close to all but nearly every blockchain solution that's been proposed thus far outside of the basic transactions for for cryptocurrencies, um, nearly all of them uh, have an alternative, and, and the point on the alternative is. When you when you consider two alternatives, and I, and I guess the world is considering these sorts of things with, say, the COVID vaccine, um, when, when you consider an alternative, the questions you don't ask is like, which of these is newer and shinier and, and so on? You, you generally ask, you know, can it do what it says it's supposed to do? Yeah. And then another question, which is a good follow-up question for anyone in particular in the C-suite, is, is it going to cost me more or less to run this over time? And then another question for any technical solution should be, is this a mature technology, yes or no? Uh, and the danger is, and in particular, seeing as, as blockchains haven't been around for a huge amount of time in one sense, although they're quite mature in terms of uh, where the uh, mathematics originated from, 
um, the solutions themselves are immature, which just means they haven't gone through the same robust life cycle as many other competing technologies. Yeah. And those, those sorts of things that happen, uh, you know, when they get interrogated by uh, third parties, when criminals try to break into things, yeah. or when engineers make mistakes and they need to be patched. Um, any system that implements a blockchain has to go through that evolution, much like everything else that gets deployed digitally. And because they haven't on the whole, um, being proposed as you know rock solid solutions when in reality they're, they're usually far from is is part of the problem do you think that that blockchain as it's intended um, actually tends to perform fairly simple transactions and 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 fairly simple um, verification whereas in enterprises where there's you know increasingly vast volumes of data and there is just more complexity by the you know, very nature of, of businesses, especially large businesses. That is part of the problem that, that we're taking, you know, something like blockchain, which isn't really designed for, you know, that kind of complexity, enterprise complexity, and then sort of in the case of, you know, um, some big vendors who remain nameless, um, selling this idea that is effectively not only unnecessary but um, – probably may not even achieve anything. Yeah, and, and, and so when you look at any project that gets proposed, they, they talk about this concept of technical debt. Mm. And that is, like you've proposed something, you've built something, you're, you're, you're building something, and then over a period of time, you sort of accrue uh, this debt uh, for the deployment that you've proposed because it's complex and it adds additional complexity. Well, technical things have that sort of debt. Uh, value that can get attached to certain things. But as a business, you have underneath that, which is an economic construct, financial debt that can occur or financial expense that can occur as you roll the technology out. Um, A a simple thing to think about. If an organization is thinking of protecting their information, sharing it between disparate parties, and they want a record of who's accessed what at what time, consider consider a technology like Dropbox or Google Drive. Well, why, why aren't they on blockchain? Like fundamentally, if a blockchain is supposed to allow for sharing between disparate parties who you don't necessarily trust and for there to be an audit trail and so on and so on, why would those big vendors roll out systems that are sans blockchains? It's not as if they rolled them out and because they came first, they can't use blockchains inside their integration yeah. or their architecture. Yeah. The reality is, is that you can get a robust file sharing solution that involves disparate parties that can transfer information at the speed of light and can protect it adequately through iterative backups that's fully mature. I mean, Dropbox, and this is just an amazing fact, has never been attacked or hacked by criminals by uh, ever since its inception on any wide scale. And I say that because there's some iterations where people's individual data repositories might have been uh, pilfered because of malware or so on. But at a large scale, the organization has such a robust security model and such a um, uh, mature stance when it comes to protecting uh, their own data and their, their users' data that they haven't uh, experienced that sort of leakage. Uh, and if you look at that and you think, well, that's what we would like as an organization, well, then roll out Dropbox. Just go and get a SaaS subscription and pay you 30 bucks a month, whatever it is. I think it might even be cheaper. And uh, and and use that instead. Yeah. And what you do is, and this the is dro- where the Dropbox someone, blockchain. Yeah, well, yeah. what someone might then, then say is, oh, but, the, but there's certain things that come in with blockchains which you've missed. Yeah, and yeah. I'd say, what, what are those things? Mm. Like, uh, if, if I'm a business user, mm. am I really looking for something that is cryptographically protected to that degree mm. when in reality, and this is a common issue with blockchain deployments, as soon as someone handles the data outside of the blockchain, it, it removes all of those protections. And so um, 
you can actually encrypt uh, data that you store online in any of those uh, solution providers so that even if someone intercepted all of your data, they couldn't actually read it. Mm. And that in and of itself, which you can run yourself as a user, there's packages that allow you to do that, um, in every way supersedes how blockchain works. It's faster, it's more redundant, and involves servers which are protected with guards and guns and, and so on. And and there's you know no way that you'd, you'd run into issues with uh, the data itself being uh, maligned, but because you can audit it, because you can roll that backups and all those sorts of things. Mm. Sure, it doesn't have the block-to-block approach that blockchain, uh, you know, touts as one of its main advantages, and yeah. which is one of its main advantages. Yeah. But in terms of the functional capacity to transform your organisation to allow for data sharing and so on, um, we've solved for that in another domain. So there's no need to transpose a defunct technology into that domain because it just introduces an overhead which is too hard to overcome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's almost like you were saying that blockchain is some kind of digital non-secretary, really. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, and I use the phrase digital tulip to describe that. And oh, I think yeah? it's adequate. And, uh, and, I, and I'm not trying to be overly derogatory, but mm. if you think of the tulip craze back when it was the 1600s, the golden age, yeah, yeah. Uh, back back in the day, you know, yeah, back yeah. when we were well, all People had very, young. very, very simple, large mobile phones back then. Yeah, no, no mobile phones, no Merkel trees back then. Just normal trees. It's a very, very agrarian society. Yes, and, right. But the, 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 the same mechanic, right? You get enamoured with something which appears to be one thing but isn't. And then you get this sort of hoarding of those sorts of things. Um, and whilst you know, they, they, they talk about the tulip craze and they say, well, it, it sort of became a bit of an economic issue, but it didn't really impact society all that much. But what we're seeing now, and this is why I use that phrase and why I reference it and, and why when I get into robust debates with different folk from all over the world about this, we, we sort of come to blows in some instances and, and uh, part friends in others. Mm. Um, the reason I speak emphatically about that is that there's some instances where blockchains get proposed where they're actually a really, really bad solution because the alternative which they could use, which is more lightweight and cheaper, easy to administer, actually ties someone down or ties an individual or a group or in the worst case, a developing country down to an overly complex solution that isn't going to solve for what they say it's going to solve. Mm. And when, when that occurs, that's when I start to get quite angry or upset or frustrated or any one of these other thesaurus-style words. Um, (laughs) Because what it it amounts to is someone has, you know, it's a strong word, but I I would would use it, and I would use it carefully, but they've fraudulently proposed something that which can't do what they've proposed it to do. And then they've, they've, they've played on the, the technical literacy of the people that they're dealing with um, and sold them a solution which, if they thought about it, unless they themselves are uh, uh, delusional about the sort of things that they're proposing, but if they thought about it and they had talked to other vendors or they asked you know, for some due diligence where they could, the, the person they're trying to service could choose between different providers, there would be a better solution available. And I could name a couple of countries, but I won't single them out, but there are developing countries in Africa and in the Caribbean and so on, which were proposed to these, as these shining lights of mm-hmm. Uh, blockchains and so on and when you look at those countries when you look at the individuals involved in promoting those solutions there's a huge amount of self-promotion there's a bit of good intention and maybe that's it's misaligned um, but there's a huge amount of self-promotion there's quite a quite a bit of chatter at the vendor level about who should um, be promoting those sorts of things and then there's little regard for the real needs of the people on the ground yeah. uh, and you, you think it, it, in one sense and this, this is where some people might know I'm taking it too far but uh, I just want to say this carefully but emphatically yeah. Um, if, if someone has proposed a solution that is preposterous enough to suggest that a type of digital technology that's implemented in the third world where 
critical infrastructure is lacking, where they don't even have fresh water or so on, and somehow this magical technology is going to transform their lives. If that person is not willing to do the hard yards to solve for the base issues that that people group face, mm. then they have no right to propose a third-party solution or their own solution as the saviour of that people group. And I see that quite a bit in, yeah. uh, in different aid instances. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't doubt the intention. Uh, but what I uh, what I debate is the execution, and, and what I take umbrage with is when the execution is particularly well marketed, yeah. um, such that it, it confuses what it's really trying to solve. Yeah, well, folks, it sounds like there's um, there's some ominous warnings there, things to look out for. Jonathan, really um, really valuable insights here. Thanks so much for joining us, and we um, look forward to having you back on the show again soon. No worries, Dave. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed it. Now, in case you missed it, Thursday, 12th of November, we hosted the 5th CIO 50 Awards, celebrating the best in digital innovation and technology leadership in Australia. The quality of submissions was impressive indeed, making for probably the most competitive year we've seen. Massive congratulations to this year's CIO 50 winner, John Sutherland, CIO with Ramsey Healthcare. Also second place, Angela Coble, Director of Business Technology, Johnson & Johnson, ANZ and New South Wales Police CEO Gordon Dunsford, who took out third. Big congratulations too to eHealth New South Wales, which took out the inaugural Community Program Award for its efforts in helping the state respond to COVID-19. And of course, congratulations to all who made it into this year's CIO 50. Well done indeed. Our next episode, CIO Australia Editor-in-Chief Byron Connolly will discuss this year's extraordinary CIO 50 program with myself, while talking with a number of winners about what the event means to them and their teams. We hope you can join us.